Hello, and welcome to the Mormon History Podcast. Bonus Episode 9, Pioneer Day Special. The summer of 1844 was met with grief and uncertainty for the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Nauvoo, Illinois. Their beloved prophet and mayor, Joseph Smith, was killed while incarcerated in Carthage, Illinois. They were left without a figurehead. Many stepped into this power vacuum, including Sidney Rigdon, Brigham Young, James Strain, Granville Hedrick, and Alphys Cutler. Ultimately, the majority of the saints in Nauvoo chose to follow Brigham Young, who represented the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as president of said quorum. Brigham Young and the other apostles led the saints in picking up the pieces after the death of Joseph Smith and the secession crisis that followed. Persecution increased as neighbors grew more and more hostile towards the Latter-day Saints. Finally, on February 4, 1846, thousands of Mormons departed to the great city of Nauvoo, which they worked so hard to rise from the marshes of the Mississippi. While multitudes crossed the river, heading to the west, other groups settled in the opposite direction. The Strainites in Michigan, the Rigdonites in the east, and others in other parts of the Midwest. Under Brigham Young, the Mormon pioneers made their way west in wagon trains. This was in the days of the administration of President James K. Polk. Just months after the beginning of the Mormon exodus from Nauvoo, war broke out between the United States and Mexico. The Mormon pioneers were headed right into Mexican territory, away from the government that they deemed unhelpful and even hostile. You see, Mormons had a deep mistrust of the U.S. government after it said government refused to, to aid them during and following the Mormon War of 1838, when they were expelled with deadly force from the state of Missouri. In Nauvoo, Joseph Smith expressed his wish that the United States Constitution required the enforcement of civil liberties for all people, not just the majority. The Council of Fifty, which was created in part to represent the Kingdom of God on the earth, and which was the ruling body of Nauvoo that, that helped the saints in their journey to the west, of which Brigham Young was appointed leader, discussed the possibility of establishing themselves as an independent nation in the West. William W. Phelps was quoted as being in favor of, quote, letting the United States and British governments alone, we are better without them, end quote. Speaking of the Council of Fifty, which we will get into further in a later episode, one of its purposes was to find an additional location for the saints to gather. Texas was considered as an alternative for the slaveholding converts, We'll get into that too. Oregon and California and even Vancouver Island were considered as possible locations. Soon, they stopped looking for an additional location and focused on finding a replacement Zion. In 1845, Brigham Young decided that the Great Salt Lake Valley would become this new gathering place. Young and the Council of Fifty knew that the Exodus West would take them out of the borders of the U.S. They decided to go to Mexico because there was a lack of direct dominion by Mexico in that northern part. It was viewed as a power vacuum, where a theocracy could be established. Of course, we know that it was that very year of Mormon arrival in the Great Basin that the United States invaded central Mexico and captured Mexico City. After a couple of more attempts to defeat their American enemies, the Mexican representatives signed the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, in which the United States gained undisputed control of Texas, California, Nevada, Utah, most of New Mexico, Arizona, and Colorado with parts of Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Wyoming. Mexico, meanwhile, received $15 million, which is now 
424 million dollars today and was forgiven of debts owed to the United States citizens. In case you were wondering, the sum received by Mexico, which was which was basically for reparations, was less than half the money the United States had originally offered to buy what was known today as Mexican secession, the lower half of the American West. We will cover more about the Mexican-American War as context for Mormon colonization in a later episode. I will cover the entirety of the Mormon trek west in future episodes when we reach 1846 in the main narrative. The, ride, the winter of 1846 to 1847 was spent by many saints in Winter Quarters, Nebraska, near modern-day Omaha. Conditions at Winter Quarters were horrible, but spring brought new hope. On April 5, 1847, at 2 p.m., the wagons of the Vanguard Mormon Company led by Brigham Young began their trek west, towards the Great Basin. This group started out as 143 men, including three black members and eight apostles. There were also three women and two children. They had 75 wagons, one cannon, 53 horses, 52 mules, 65 oxen, 19 cows, 17 dogs, and some chickens, with enough supplies to last them a year. It took six weeks for this company to travel from winter quarters in eastern Nebraska to Fort Laramie in southeastern portion of modern-day Wyoming, just west of Cheyenne. They arrived in Laramie on June 1st, stopping to make repairs and reshoe the draft animals. They were joined by some of the Mormon battalion, who were excused from service in the Mexican-American War due to illness. There was also a group of church members from Mississippi. The now larger group of saints took the already established Oregon Trail to Fort Bridger in the southwesternmost part of Wyoming. In the last week of June, the Vanguard Company came, to, came upon Sam Brannan, who had led the saints aboard the ship Brooklyn, which had sailed, from, sailed to San Francisco, California, by rounding the Cape of Magellan, between the southern tip of South America and, and Antarctica. Brandon urged the saints to continue on to California, but Brigham Young could not be swayed. The Mormons were going to the Great Basin. On June 28th, they ran into the mountain man Jim Bridger, who gave some advice on how to enter the Salt Lake Valley. Bridger encouraged the Mormons to settle by Utah Lake. The Mormons arrived at Fort Bridger on July 7th. The path ahead was even more dangerous and arduous than before. Young decided to take the same route as the infamous Donner Party, which had ended in disaster the year before. Many saints, including Young himself, grew sick after crossing the Green River. This was accepted as a mountain fever, possibly induced by wood ticks. Orson Pratt and Erastus Snow, with only one horse between them, were the first Mormons to enter the Salt Lake Valley on July 21, 1847. Pratt wrote, quote, We could not refrain from a shout of joy, which almost involuntarily escaped our lips the moment this grand and lovely scenery was within our view. End quote. The next day, the Vanguard Company of Saints arrived in the valley. Brigham Young himself arrived two days later, on July 24, 1847, and confirmed that, quote, This is the right place. End quote. Young later declared that he had recognized the valley because he had seen it in a vision. Four days later, on July 28th, Young, feeling much better, recovered from his illness, planted his cane in the, into the ground, and established a location for the future Salt Lake Temple. He later presented a city plan. During the winter of 1847, there were 1,611 pioneers in the Great Salt Lake Valley. Two years later, to commemorate the entry of the pioneers into Salt Lake Valley, on July 24, 1849, the Nauvoo Brass Band performed. 
The first official celebration of Pioneer Day, July 24th, was in 1857. The celebration was interrupted by news of Johnston's army approaching from the east, which would culminate in the Utah War. Pioneer Day was not celebrated during the occupation of the Utah Territory by federal troops. President Abraham Lincoln turned the federal focus away from Utah during the American Civil War, during which Pioneer Day was again observed. During this time, these celebrations expanded into the entire Mormon Corridor. Beginning in Utah, the corridor extends northward through western Wyoming and eastern Idaho to Yellowstone National Park. It reaches south to San Bernardino, California on the west and through Mesa, Arizona on the east, extending southward to the U.S.-Mexico border. Because of anti-polygamy laws enforced by the federal government, Pioneer Day began to have a more subdued tone. The 1886 commemoration was particularly notable for its mourning theme, with the Salt Lake Tabernacle decorated in black instead of the usually colorful bunting, and the eulogizing of Latter-day Saints who were in hiding or in prison for polygamy offenses. In 1897, Pioneer Day was met with extreme joy and happiness, as not only was it the 50th anniversary of the initial arrival in Salt Lake, but it was also the end of the polygamy issue, thanks to Wilfred Rudruff's inspired manifesto. It was also the same year that the Salt Lake, Tab Salt Lake Temple was completed, and Utah received statehood. In 1947, the Pioneer celebrations commemorating 100 years since entry into the Salt Lake Valley seemed to incorporate the entire year. The 1997 sesquicentennial was also notably large. When the Nauvoo Brass Band led its procession in 1849, it began the tradition of the Days of 47 Parade. It was called the Pioneer Days Parade from 1849 to 1931. From 1931 to, eight to 1946, it was called the Covered Wagon Days Parade. In 1947, it was renamed the Days of 47. The parade was originally mostly excuse exclusive with LDS wards, stakes, businesses, and community groups sponsoring floats. Recently, the parade has become more inclusive, with other churches participating and celebrating their own Utah pioneers. Native American groups have been known to march in front of the parade, and the military is always well represented, including horses and bands. From the beginning, pioneers who arrived in the valley before 1869 were honored with a dinner each July 24th. The last living pioneer died on January 1st, 1968. Her name was Hilda Erickson, and she was 108 years old. There has been some criticism about Pioneer Day because of its lack of inclusiveness for non-Mormons. So, as a result, some have taken to celebrating Pi and Beer Day instead of Pioneer Day. Pioneer Day today includes fireworks, parades, picnics, rodeos, and other festivities throughout the state. Though it is only a state holiday in Utah, Mormons all over the country will often hold activities to commemorate Pioneer Day. I remember having a ward picnic in which members of the congregation to which I belonged would bring food and we would tell pioneer stories, play pioneer games, and some even dressed in pioneer clothes. In Utah, county offices, except emergency services, educational institutions, and many businesses are closed. Pioneer Day is also celebrated in many parts of Idaho, where it is commonly known as Celebration Day. Family reunions are popular on or around July 24th. Every year there is a Pioneer Day concert by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. I had the opportunity to attend this concert. Called Music for a Summer Evening, this year's concert featured Matthew Morrison and Laura Michelle Kelly, two great Broadway stars. It was narrated by Oscar Andy Hammerstein III, grandson of the famed lyricist and musical theater producer Oscar Hammerstein II. 
Morrison and Kelly sang the selection of Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals such as The Sound of Music, The South Pacific, Oklahoma, and The Kino Nye. Before meet the musical guests performed, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sang two beloved LDS hymns, Come, Come Ye Saints, and They, the Builders of the Nation. On the morning of July 24th, there was a Desert News Marathon and a sunrise service in the Assembly Hall in Temple Square, in which the Pioneer Chapter of the Sons of Utah Pioneers presents a service holding honoring Utah's pioneers. At 9 a.m., the Days of 47 Parade begins. Pioneer Day is about more than just the saints who entered the Salt Lake Valley from 1847 to 1869. It is about all those who paved the way for us to live the way we live. Pioneers carry the gospel to faraway places. Pioneers join the Latter-day Saint Church through the waters of baptism throughout the generations. Pioneers raise their children righteously in the gospel. All men, women, and children have the potential to be pioneers. Pioneer Day is a celebration of this pioneer spirit that burns bright within all of us. To end today's episode, I will quote the lyrics of a hymn popular for Pioneer Day, They the Builders of the Nation. They the builders of the nation, blazing trails along the way, stepping stones for generations were their deeds of every day. Building new and firm foundations, pushing on the wild frontier, forging onward ever onward, blessed honored pioneer. Service ever was their watch cry, Love became their guiding star, courage their unfailing beacon, radiating near and far. Every day some burden lifted, every day some heart to cheer, every day some hope the brighter, blessed honored pioneer. As an ensign to the nation, then furled the flag of truth, pillar, guide, and inspiration to the hosts of waiting youth. Honor, praise, and veneration to the founders we revere, list our son of adoration. Blessed, honored pioneer. Thanks for listening. This has been a bonus episode of the Mormon History Podcast.